want to dive right in. Proverbs chapter 2, and as you're turning there, as you get there, stand to your feet. We'll read what God's Word says as we begin this new chapter, and then we'll dive in and cover at uh, a high level the whole chapter today, and then we'll go back into greater detail a little bit in some areas next week. But if you're there, Proverbs chapter 2, say amen. amen. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of his saints. And then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity and every good path. When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, Discretion will preserve you, understanding will keep you to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perversity of the wicked, whose ways are crooked and who are devious in their paths to deliver you, verse 16, from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God for her house leads down to death and her paths to the dead. None who go to her return, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you, so you may walk in the way of goodness and keep the paths of righteousness for the upright will dwell in the land and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the earth and the unfaithful will be uprooted from it. And so, Lord, we thank you so much for the text you've given. Lord, I pray as we turn our hearts now to your word that you would begin and continue to stir in us things, Lord, that are good for us. I pray you would remove everything that hinders this morning on all cares of this life, all distractions from the room, that we would hear what you have to say by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. And so we look at the benefits of wisdom now as we go into chapter 2. We kind of see three things that we'll touch on. The invitation of wisdom in the first four, uh, first four verses. Um, then we kind of see some provision of wisdom in verses 5 through 9. And then even the protection of wisdom in verses 10 through 22. As we dive in in the first four verses, the invitation of wisdom has so many different things that we can pull from. But I want to start off just picking it apart a little bit because notice as it begins, my son, Did you catch that? And I love that. Here again, we see the heart of the father um, that he is speaking. Uh, and in fact, it, he says, my son, over and over. We saw it several times in chapter one. We saw it in verse eight of chapter one, verse 10 of chapter one. We see it here in chapter two, three, four, and other places. There's a one place he actually says, my children. And one of the things I can think of is that for the, for, the, for, the, for the fathers and the mothers in the room, we need to also write on the side, my daughter. 
In his culture, obviously, often the, the girls would really be poured into by their mothers. They would learn from their mothers and their grandmothers, and everybody would be around. And, and today, the family structure has been so damaged that often that's not the case. But when you have a healthy family unit, it needs to be the heart of the parent to both genders, my, my son, my daughter, that this wisdom needs to be poured in as parents are guiding their children to give their children wisdom. And that's what we're going to begin to see as we go through this. And again, I think when he says my son, when he says my daughter, that heart of a father, one of the things that we know as you look at what's going on in the world, and there's no wisdom in the world because they have no fear of the Lord. And one of the things that we see is that fathers are belittled and made to look stupid when it comes to anything that Hollywood puts out. Um, as they're literally trying to destroy uh, the, the whole picture of a father because it resembles the, the loving character of our God. And there's an image being put there. You know, the Bible compares marriage, if you will. Marriage is a, a union between God, a, father, a husband, and a wife. We know that. It's a picture that brings God glory. So they want to destroy all of that. I think about between the homosexuality and the trans, all the LGBTQ stuff and all that stuff, you know, where women are becoming lesbians and a bunch of men are becoming uh, homosexuals and trying to be women. And then on top of that, all of the abortion that's destroying so many children's lives. And if, if you think if the society we live in continues to go the way that they desire to go, where would that leave humanity in another hundred years? It'd be kind of weird to think about, you know, the reduction of the population just because of the abortion alone. And a man, a real godly man, is going to be a very rare thing who actually loves God and loves one woman. That's going to be a rare thing if society continues to go in the direction that it's going. Yet here in all of that, we see Solomon saying, my son. And it's speaking of something that is so beautiful and should be, and I'm sure women would agree that when you have a situation where a father is loving and pouring into his children in the times that we live in, that blesses God and it provides stability for the family. And so it's so important for us to hear this heart as we begin to look at this. And we've talked a lot about parental guidance and we'll touch on a little bit more of it. But notice here we see a progression in that parental guidance to an extent with this invitation to wisdom because he says, if you will receive my words in verse one. And yes, if you would cry out for discernment in verse three. And if you would seek her as silver in verse four. And you get the sense that what he's saying here is a little bit different because he's no longer talking to a child. At this point, Solomon, who is pouring into his children, are actually talking to those children of his who have developed along, most likely now, young adults. Because our parental guidance changes as our children develop. Here, here's what I mean. When they are children, it's not if you will. It's this is what you're going to do. This is when you're going to do it. And this is, and then as they get a little bit older, is this is how we're going to do it. Make sure they understand, right? I hope you can nod to that because you're laying a foundation when they're young, okay? You're not negotiating and asking them if they will when they're young because parents, if you're there still, then I, I, my, plea, I, my heart goes out to you because you are a slave. You've been entrapped in some psychological thought process that will damage your children in the long run. It's going to cause you a lot of heartaches. 
So when they're young, it's, this is what you're going to do. This is, I had to catch myself. It's scary teaching through Proverbs because I'm at home now, and when I'm responding to something, my own teaching is convicting me. I'm like, oh, I, I got to, let me back up and get this right. Lord, help me. And you, you, you're telling them what they need to do when they're young, and you're showing them how to do it. But as they become young adults, there's a difference. Now, all the foundation has been poured in already. They have an idea. They know what they're supposed to be doing for the most part, but they're still learning how to apply. Remember that knowledge that's been laid into them all these years. Now they're trying to figure out how to put that to work in their lives. So when they're 19, 20, and 21, and 22, we're still at that point uh, guiding them to some degree and helping them come to a place where they can utilize that stuff in their lives. So now it's more like when they're that age, hey, if you will receive, if you will do it this way. In other words, there's an option laid before you, their paths. And that's what all of us as, as adults, as people have, is these paths laid before us. And we're so thankful that Jesus narrowed down the path to just two because the world likes to put a lot, many of them in front of us, right? Jesus says, no, 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 there's two. There's a narrow one that leads to life. Few enter in. There's a broad one that leads to death, and many go that way. And that's the way of the world. And so now, as we are older and developing this, if you will, and that's what he's pleading, this invitation for wisdom. So the first one is, if you will receive my words. And I love that as we begin to dive in. I won't go into detail on all of these, but this one means to take hold of it. You know, to seize it, if you will. Um, to grab hold of, notice my words, which literally, as we, we saw wisdom being personified in the last chapter, is speaking of the Lord himself, his word, which is the word of God, which is life to us and nourishment to us. So if you will lay hold, literally Solomon is saying, to my words. And as we get older, this is one thing I'm finding out, and this is a healthy church, because in this room, we have some 60, 65, 75, and 80-year-old people in this room right now, as well as some teenagers in this room right now, some 19 and 20-year-olds in this room. So we've got and everything in between, and that's beautiful. Because what I find out when I talk to older people is what blesses them is when they can just, you know, share what, what they've learned and be heard. It's like their heart aches when they see young people going the wrong way, and they just want to pour out. They just want to grab them and say, you know, it's like older people are like, I, I have nothing to, to lose here. I'm not trying to... Um, I'm not trying to teach you, treat you like you don't know anything. I'm not trying to uh, overpower. I just want you to know what I know so you won't make the mistakes I made. That's all. That's all I want. And you grab hold of those young people. And older people, don't be afraid to do it. It's meant to be like that. Don't be afraid. If you see, if you, if you know, and I guarantee you this, if any of these young people are from a decent family who's taught them some level of respect, they'll just listen. They'll just listen. You know, and, and they'll, they'll, it'll, it'll stay with them. I'm trying to tell you, they may not understand why you're saying it at that very moment, but the Holy Spirit is wonderful in that he, like, somehow causes everything that goes in us to be, that's of God to be stored away somewhere, and he brings it out in time of need. I still, to this day, my grandmother's voice, boy, put something on your head, and you're going out there, and it's raining, it's 20 degrees, it still, it's, it still hits me. Every, I'm like, I'm walking out the door. I'm like, I heard grandma's voice. I go back in and grab it. <laughs> and she's, she's been with the Lord since 93. 
Um, but just stuff comes back. That's a simple one, but there's other things as well. You know, I remember my grandfather sitting on his tractor talking to me, and I was telling my grandfather, you're a lucky dude. My grandfather's like, no, I, I don't believe in luck. I'm blessed. There's no such thing. You know, I'm, I'm young. He's old. And he's like, there's no luck. It's just God. So these things stay. And so, so that the heart for Solomon is, hey, if you would receive, take hold of my words. Don't let them just be dissolving in the air. And then notice he says, and treasure my commands within you, which I'll come back to, but it just means to store up. This word treasure within is store up within you. In other words, he's saying, take the words of wise counsel, God's word actually, and store it in your heart. This is what scripture says. The psalmist in Psalm 119 verse 11 says, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Y'all know that one, right? In other words, the word has been hidden in there to the point that it comes out. It has the ability to guard and guide and lead us even when we don't realize that the word comes back in time of need. Psalm 119 verse 9, and this is great. It says, how can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed? According to your word, a young man can cleanse his way by taking heed to the word of God. So he says, look, receive it, take hold of it and store it on the inside of your heart like a hidden treasure that it can come out in time of need. Now, notice in verse two, he continues this invitation. He says, so that you incline your ear to wisdom. I like that. Incline. We see that a lot in scripture. A lot of times it speaks of God inclining his ear to us, meaning that God is like a, a father who's bending down to hear what his children, his child, his toddler might say. So we use it that way a lot. But it simply means to be attentive to or to heed or even to pay attention. In other words, he says, so if you, if you would take heed to this, if you would pay attention to this wisdom, okay, and then... And apply your heart to understanding. We talked about application in chapter one that uh, wisdom is taking knowledge and learning to apply that knowledge in our lives as we live, right? You know, because it's one thing for it to come in one ear and go out the other or for you to have a lot of academic understanding and knowledge of things. But that doesn't mean anything until you put that to use, you know. And so we know and understand that. But the interesting thing about this word apply it, I found as I began to look it up, is the first place it was used, I drew my attention there. It was in Genesis chapter 12 when God had called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans where he was an idolater basically, but he heard the voice of the Lord and Abraham left um, his home and followed the Lord. The Lord said in uh, Genesis 12 verse 7, it says, Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your descendants, I will give this land as Abraham is viewing the land of Canaan now that God has shown him. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So the first thing Abraham did is worship. And notice it says, and he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Ai on the uh, east, which kind of puts him in the general area of what would uh, later be known as Jerusalem. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And I find it interesting that word pitched in that verse. He pitched his tent there is the same word here for apply your heart in the Hebrew to understanding. And I found it interesting that as God showed him the land and said, I will give this to your descendants, Abraham by faith believed God and he went up to a mountain where he could view it all and pitched a tent there. 
And it speaks to me of that, the fact that when Abraham was attentive to what God had said to him, he responded in total belief. And by, he, he exercised faith and pitched his tent where he felt like God had called him to be. In other words, we know Abraham wavered a little bit on his faith later, but ended up back there again. Y'all know the whole story. But what we find there is Abraham, because of what the word of God spoke to him, he grabbed a hold of it and he pitched his tent right there. And that's a blessing to me because I think what God is saying to us, listen, is when you hear the wisdom of the Lord and you grab a hold of the wisdom of the Lord, then you kind of need to camp out right there in that place in the scripture where the word of God is giving you wisdom and don't move away from it. Grab hold of what God says to you and walk with him no matter, no matter what somebody else may be saying or, or whether you might feel like wavering. I was talking with a gentleman who he and his wife um, were, were trying to figure out what to do with something as simple as whether they should sell their home or not. And they put it to prayer and the word of God came upon them in such a peace that they knew exactly what they were supposed to do. And they let God lead them. First Corinthians chapter 15 verse 58 says, therefore, my beloved brother, and be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. In other words, be immovable. God said this, therefore, I can't go anywhere else. I got to do what he says, even though it doesn't make sense sometimes fully in the moment, but we got to stick with what the Lord has called us to do. A lot of times um, in leading our children and pouring wisdom into young people, you know, I, I tell them, you know, you might not fully understand what I'm saying to you now because you haven't been down this path. But because I've been down this path, I can kind of tell you that at least you need to consider this. You, the Lord uh, may lead you in this way for this reason. And I can kind of give you some idea. You can give your young, your young adults ideas or someone younger than you as you're pouring in. You can give them wisdom because you've been the, down the path that they're now going. Uh, Ephesians actually says this. Now, we find this wisdom coming up in Paul's prayers a lot. But in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 through 18, it says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being noticed rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is noticed the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I love that. That you may understand the whole gamut of who God is as we're called to follow him and to be grounded in his truth. So he says, if you would incline your ear to wisdom, be attentive and apply, camp out there, be grounded there, stay there, your heart to understanding. And then notice in verse 3, y'all, he says, yes, if you cry out for discernment and you get the picture, this invitation that's being given, listen, the invitation is that we would seek wisdom out, that we would be about the process of trying to find out what thus says the Lord on any situation of life and lift up your voice to understanding. Notice he gets very specific in verse 4. Y'all doing okay? Amen. Verse 4, he says, if you seek her. Her being wisdom here again, being personified. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasure. And, you know, when we think about that, it's for some of us, maybe we don't get the full picture. I used to watch these TV shows. One of them I used to love was Gold Rush. Anybody watch Gold Rush? Anybody? 
Okay, please, I want to make sure I'm not, all right. Fewer of you in this service. I used to love Gold Rush. They would move their families, invest all their money in this venture to find gold, which means that if it fails, it was over. And they would be out there in the harsh, cold conditions in the, in the uh, Klondike or the Yukon trying to find gold, putting their families at risk, destroying machinery, trying to figure out what was going to happen and, and all this kind of stuff. And I used to love watching that show, all the dig holes in the dirt so they could get enough when they pan it out to fill a little jar of gold. And they would look at it and be so happy they got that little bit of gold. And then they almost killed the whole family to get it. And, uh, <laughs> And that's what they were putting their whole lives into. Gold is now like $1,800 an ounce or something, I believe. Um, and look, a lot of y'all know how much it is because when, the economy, when things got crazy in 2020 and crazy things are happening and you're thinking that the U.S. dollar is going to tank, a lot of you in this room move some of your assets into gold. You don't have to nod. It's okay. And there might be some wisdom in that. Many of you are trying to... Uh, figure out how to make sure you, your family is provided for and you're, you're, you're looking at your investments and stuff like that, and that is a wonderful thing. We should do those things. It's important to do those things. But the picture here in verse 4 is as much as we would do that, he's saying that we should be seeking after the wisdom of the Lord. Because once God's wisdom comes in, it guides us in this life. And it does some things. We'll get into the benefits in a minute. In fact, Proverbs chapter 3, we'll get there eventually, says, verse 13 through 15 says, Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her proceeds, I like that, that's, that's her profits or, or her income, are better than profits of silver. In other words, wisdom will give you more. And her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies. And all the things that you may desire cannot be compared to her. I, I, knew a, I know a guy in Colombia who he goes up the mountain. Uh, he provides for himself by digging for precious stones. And he doesn't have to find but maybe one or two. And it, it, it sustains him for a while. It's very interesting. Um, here it's saying that wisdom is greater than all of that. And we can see that to be true very simply in our society. You see, in our society, when we look at... Um, People who win the lottery. A few weeks ago, I was stuck behind this lady in the gas station. She, was, she went through like two cigarettes while I'm waiting, just puffing them down. I mean, I mean, all you see is red. I'm like, dang, you know, she's just taking the cigarette down and, and, and trying to buy lottery tickets. And I'm looking, and, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, if she wins, it's not going to change anything. It's going to really ruin her. It's going to make it worse for her. It always does. You talk to people who win the lottery, they got more stress after winning it, trying to keep it as they're, it's quickly going away from them because the Bible says a fool and, and money, they, they, they kind of move away from each other pretty fast, like opposites. I mean, like the same when you do the magnet, the same two ends. It, it's like a fool with money goes away fast because he doesn't know what to do with it, which is why he's already broke when he wins the lottery. So when you take young people with no wisdom and they get a multi-million dollar basketball contract, and then they end up very broke very fast, not their agent, the agent does well, but they end up very broke very fast because they have no wisdom. And so people are searching after stuff, but there's no wisdom. But if they have wisdom, it's far greater because with wisdom, 
God gives you what you need to be a steward over his stuff while you're here. Look, listen very carefully. Our government has no wisdom because they have no fear of the Lord. I'll tell you the truth, though, listen, government never has the wisdom, the true wisdom that it needs without the fear of the Lord. We see that all the time. I'll give you an example. When I did street ministry, the people who were trying to walk with the Lord who were homeless, they didn't, they would never live in the shelter. And I couldn't understand. And I would sit down and talk with them. I remember sitting down and talking with this old lady who had a cart and a baseball bat and everything was in trash bags. Her name was Miss Christina down by Moore Square back in the 2005, six range. She's not there anymore. She passed away. But I would say, Miss, Miss it's going to be cold this weekend, Miss Christina. Are you going in the shelter? No, baby, I ain't going in that shelter. I'm like, why? It's crazy down there. I would talk to other people in this shelter that the government provided. They would have drug use. People were robbing each other. People were being raped. It was a horrible place. So they would rather sleep on the street than go into the shelter. Now, when I go to um, shelters run by the church, like down in Atlanta, how many of you going down to Atlanta for that outreach, okay, in Philly? Oh, not many of you. We need to do another one. We would go down there, and what happens there is to come in the shelter you had to leave everything, forsake everything, and, and make a, a decision to follow the Lord. And you came into a discipleship program for at least one year. You got a shower. You got your own bedding and your clothes from the, from the closet there. And then you were given an uh, orientation because you're going to do chores every day. So the people in the shelter are taking care of the shelter. They're cleaning the shelter. They're cleaning the bathrooms. They're cutting the grounds. They're doing all of this stuff that's giving them dignity, kind of like God did in the Old Testament with poor people. They're learning to function because the church has the wisdom of God. The government does not. And when the government runs programs, it ruins people's lives because they are absent of the wisdom of God. This is why when the government came up with their welfare programs, it destroyed families and lives because the wisdom, the fear of the Lord is not in it. But when the church does these things with the fear of the Lord, we make a greater impact than the government could ever make. You know, right now, listen, right now I was talking with someone recently who wants a handout from the church, but not willing to go work a job. Fully healthy. I'm like, wait a minute. Now, see, here's the, here's the government's wisdom you got, coming back from Maryland, it was the first time I saw this sign at a gas station, $650 sign-in bonus to be a cashier. I said to myself, $650 to come to work? And that's all over the country. I've seen them now here locally. We can't get anybody. We went to one place, and they weren't open yet. Oh, no, it was uh, another brother here was telling me about it. He went to the place that wasn't open yet because, and the, and the manager came out, was like, we just, we don't have enough people working. And I don't understand. So, so we're throwing money in places with no wisdom, and, and then you're going to raise the, the thing to $15 an hour, and a lot of you in here have small businesses, and there'll be less jobs available when small businesses can't afford that. They'll just cut so what I'm trying to say is, I'm not trying to be political. What I'm trying to say is this. I'm trying to get you to think about the fact that our government and our world is absent of wisdom because it doesn't have the fear of the Lord. And so the church, Christians, we have the fear of the Lord, which means that we approach things differently from the world by nature because of the spirit of God within us and the word of God, which we are soaking up. And so we need, to, we need to be mindful that Proverbs 8, verse 10 through 11 says, Receive my instruction and not silver, 
and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things one may desire cannot compare with her. In other words, everything that we desire in the lust of our flesh can't compare to one ounce of the wisdom that comes from God, which teaches us how to live life, which God gives us a peace and the ability to see things with the right perspective. Proverbs 16, 16 says, how much better to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding than to be uh, is to be chosen rather than silver. God says that, listen, you need my wisdom and my understanding more than you need riches. God will even prove it in your own budget if you would test him, which we're going to get into in the book of Proverbs, because he'll show you how he can take 90% if you want to use a 10% rule uh, for tithing. I think in the New Testament, giving it goes far greater than that. But he can, whatever the lesser amount is, he can multiply it where it doesn't make mathematical sense, where you can take the 100% on your own without him being involved and just make a mess. <laughs> that doesn't add up, does it? No. Wisdom comes from the Lord, and he pours. And so now, here's the thing as we, we get to verse 5 here. Y'all bear with me. Verse 5, we, be, we get ready to go into the provision of wisdom and it says here, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. But if you remember, it almost sounds contradictory. Because chapter 1, verse 7, says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Y'all see that? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Here it says, after you seek after it, after you lay hold of it, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. But it's not a contradiction. It's just that, listen, God desires, he even requires us to go after it, to come after it, to seek after his wisdom. In other words, something has to happen on the inside of us. And usually what happens is we make an utter mess of our life, and then we repent, and we, we turn to God and begin to seek him for some understanding. And then we begin to understand it. I think in everything, I think what happens is once we come to him, once we come to an end of ourselves, once we've already done it our way and that didn't work out too good, once we realize we need him and we turn to him, then we begin to understand. He pours it out once we come to him. That's what scripture tells us in everything. God is freely ready to bless us. And hey, look, if you, if you repent and turn to me, there's salvation. I will pour out the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. Jesus says it will come upon you. He'll lead you. It, it, likewise, even with wisdom for making decisions, once we turn to him, chapter 3 will tell us once we turn, learn to acknowledge him in all of our ways, then he begins to direct our paths. So we can go our own way. You can create your own path. Or we can turn to the Lord and he will plot a path that's perfect that will, will, will move around the, the landfills that the enemy has put in the way. And we'll get into that in a moment. And so then we will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. I love that. It's almost as when we, when we stop and we settle down and we, we consider him and we seek after him, then the, the wisdom that we need comes. Why? Verse 6. For the Lord loves, uh, I'm sorry, for the Lord gives, well, he does love, but the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. I love this. These are the, if you will, as we look at it, these benefits, the provision of wisdom here as we begin to look at it. He wants to give, it says, wisdom. 
the Lord is ready to freely give us that which we need if we would come to him. He's not wanting to hold back. He says, if anybody lacks wisdom, ask of God. He gives freely, right? Y'all know those verses from James. From his mouth even come knowledge and understanding. From the very mouth of God, the very word of God comes knowledge and understanding. The Lord wants to pour these things out. Notice verse 7. It says literally that he, he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. I like that. He stores it up. There's a, that's a special word to me growing up in, uh, on a farm because my grandparents would store up good things. It, they always had something good in the wintertime, you know. There'd be a, a wood fire burning, and my grandmother would have, uh, they would have jelly they made. <laughs> they would have uh, pear preserves and fig preserves and peach preserves that they grew and stuff, all kind of stuff, just stored up. They would just pull it out when the grandkids come over. You know how it is. They pull it out in the wintertime. We eating like it's June, and it's the middle of January, you know, because they have stuff stored up to just keep blessing. You know, and the Lord is that way. He's got something stored up to give you some direction if you would seek after it. The Lord is like, I got stuff on the shelf. When are you going to come talk to me? You know, I want to lead you. I want to guide you. I want to give you something that you can navigate this life. And so he stores up wisdom for the upright. And notice this, because I got to move and run out of time. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. I love that. A shield blocks out the danger, the incoming danger, right? Just like the Bible calls our faith a shield of faith, right? It blocks out the fiery darts of the enemy. So a shield, he says, to those who walk uprightly. And he says in verse 8, and he guards the path of justice and preserves the way of his saints. And what that speaks to me of as I hear this shield and this guarding, it speaks to me of a what the Bible calls a hedge, which is literally a fence. And I want to read you a passage from Job chapter 1, which you may know. You can look at it in your own time. I don't have it on the screen. On the screen, But in Job chapter 1, this hedge comes up in discussion between the Lord and Satan. It says, now there was a day when the sons of God, those are the angels, came to present themselves before the Lord. So the Lord had an angelic meeting, if you will. They all had to come and give an account of what they're doing on the earth. And it says, and Satan came in among them, so he still had access at that time. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? You notice God's not concerned about Satan. Satan is not God's equal. God has no equal. Let me make sure we know that, okay? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it, because that's what he does. He seeks whom he may devour. Okay, verse 8. Then the Lord said to Satan, well, have you considered my servant Job? This always bothered me. Because then God is going to brag on Job. He says, there is none like him in all the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. I never want God to bring my name up when <laughs> he's meeting. Because generally we don't encounter Satan because he's too busy in the Oval Office and the, the offices of uh, leaders of the world. He's trying to deal with those people. Um, so when he shows up, Lord, don't even mention me down in Clayton. Don't, don't bring it up. <laughs> But verse 9 is key here. It says, so Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge, a fence, if you will, around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land? What Satan just did was confess to God, yeah, I want to get at Job. But you've put this hedge around him, and it's on every side. So God didn't leave an opening anywhere. Okay? And he, he, he surrounded Job completely on every side, and he even blessed his hands and the things that he was doing. 
It speaks to the fact that God knows how to shield and guard. He knows how to shield those who walk uprightly, and he knows how to guard the paths um, uh, of, of those who walk uprightly and preserve the way of his saints. This is the business that God is in. And so when we turn to him, I believe, seeking wisdom, He's ready to pour out that wisdom that he's already stored up. But on top of that, then he wants to work with us and he wants to put a hedge around us because here's what God is saying. This person, this man or woman is seeking my wisdom. They're acknowledging me in their way. I'm now directing their paths and Satan, you no longer have access to them. And this is what God wants to do with you in the situations that you're dealing with in your own life. He's saying that you need to seek out his wisdom that he would then surround you with his protection and he would pour his wisdom, which he's prepared for you into your life. Then he says here in verse nine, we got to go through a few more. Are y'all okay? Amen. Okay. Um, verse uh, nine says, then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity and every good path. In other words, we will understand it more and more. It seems to be implying as we go through this, that our understanding of these things increase as we seek him out, as we lay hold of what he gives us. And as we walk with him and apply it in our lives, um, which is kind of the definition of wisdom. So verse 10, we get better to look at the protection of wisdom as we move forward. It says, um, when wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul. I love that. When wisdom enters your heart, Knowledge is pleasant to your soul. It actually begins to change you. When, you. when you have a fear of God and he begins to pour wisdom in, it enters your heart and the knowledge of him then becomes very pleasant to your soul. Those of you who walk with the Lord, you know that when you can get alone and spend time with him, that is the most nourishing aspect of your life. Sometimes like Tuesdays and Thursdays are very difficult because there's an administrative days. So I'm here at the office and all kinds of stuff is coming really fast. A lot of meetings and sometimes back-to-back marriage counseling and it's so much. And then what happens on those days is I look back, I'm worn out. But the best part of that day was if I got a few minutes just alone with my Bible, no iPhone, no computer, no nothing, and talking to the Lord. That's the nourishing part of that day for me. That's the part. Now, verse 11 says discretion will preserve you and understanding will keep you. And I want to run through the rest of the chapter and touch on some things to give us a preview for next week. And he says here, to deliver you from the way of the evil, from the way of evil, excuse me, from the man who speaks perverse things. It delivers you. There is a deliverance that comes when we fear the Lord and his wisdom begins to come in. God began to show me that when I was young. I I remember, unfortunately, you know, just being, I call it young and dumb. I was pledging fraternity with, with some guys, about eight of us, and we were, we were all into, you know, the, the life. And, uh, and I got saved in that process. And God began to lead me away. He led me away from all of it. Abruptly, he went, let me away from all of it. And I look in those guys' lives, and most of them are divorced or separated. Lives ruined and destroyed in some ways. Now, don't get me wrong, it's not because I'm smarter than anybody else. A lot of them now, they even have PhDs and stuff like that. But, but to, to the cost of a family being ruined and, and all of this stuff, and it, it, it's because, listen, bef- until you turn to the Lord, you can't see clearly. But when you turn to the Lord, all the way back in chapter 1, verse 4, he gives prudence to the simple and the young man knowledge and discretion. He leads you away from evil. Verse 13, from the from those who leave the paths of uprightness, those who walk away from God 
and go to the, the paths of wickedness, to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perversity of the wicked, whose ways are crooked and who are devious in their paths. So the wisdom of the Lord protects us from the evil way. And he causes you to see people in situations for what it is and to flee away from it. That's what God does in us. But verse 16 says to deliver you from the immoral woman. And, you know, we know what this is. Many of us could have a testimony if we had time to testify of the time when the Spirit of God calls you to run like Joseph ran out of Potiphar's house. Y'all remember that story? And that happens for all of us. But one of the things I would say as I look at this and the times we live in, I almost want to spend my time talking with the sisters in the room because of what I've seen over the past 14 years. And I want to applaud the young men here, as I've always referenced this verse as I talk to them, the young men in this church who um, I used to say to them all the time, thank you for coming to church, because we had no single women here a few years ago in their age group, none. But these young men were still showing up at church, and I'm like, man, thank you all for coming. I know you all love Jesus. Because... <laughs> And God has been with them and blessed them. Now, many of them are sitting beside some young lady that they, God has brought here, by the way. Look, this is the crazy thing. Those guys just kept coming to church, so God brought the girls into the church. Like, there, was no, there was no young ladies here. So God said, let me go apprehend and bring them, you know. But I want to talk to the young ladies because in this world, this world is crazy, and I see a danger for young ladies as a pastor through the years, I mean, I, I love to see uh, young ladies who get on fire for the Lord and they're coming to church. And my wife and I are so encouraged by that. And then all of a sudden, a dude shows up. And then I'm like, oh, here we go. <laughs> I've gotten a little bolder because he shows up. And then I watch for a while. And then neither one of them is showing up. And, you know, it's a dangerous thing, you know. And I always, I, I say now to young ladies, you know, look. When you ask him to come to your church, if he says yes real quick, like if you ask him to come on a particular Sunday and his answer is, is, is no hesitation, yes, that's a red flag to me. You might say, well, wait a minute, Pastor Kevin, that's a good thing. He said yes about coming to church. I was like, no, it's not a good thing. That means he has no church of his own. So he didn't have to think about it. Now, if he hesitates and says, well, I can't come this Sunday because I'm ushering, I say, see, now... He's got a commitment to a, a part of the body of Christ. That's a good sign, okay? <laughs> He's already going to church, you know, so that's good. We got a starting point, okay? Now, you go visit his church, and when you get there, if you get a little cold shoulder from the ladies in the church, ah, that might be a good thing. It might not feel good, but it could be a good thing. Why? Because when the older ladies at the church are looking at you like, who are you? Who, come here. You know, let's talk. That's good. That means he's got some mamas in his life who actually love him. They know who he is. They know his name. They hug him. So he's in some kind of fellowship and they're checking you out because they want to make sure you're good for him. That's a good thing. When my wife's uncle threatened to kill me, <laughs> if I hurt her when I was starting, get, just getting to starting to date her. And by the way, he and his brothers were from Chicago and they, they were real gangsters. They had a um, reputation. He worked down in an automotive shop, and he had a barrel of grease, that, and he, was, he could put me in there, and nobody would find me. And I thought to myself, and I wasn't up to no good. I, I, you know, I was legitimately, I said, you know what, Uncle Stanley, 
I really like her, so whatever, man, I'm good. You ain't got to worry about nothing, you know. But I knew that she was special to him too, right? So that's, that's my example. But look, here's the thing. I always see this. And then, ladies, you're not going to change him. If he's not already committed to the Lord, you're gonna, what you're going to do is you're going to marry him. And then once, once he has you or whatever it is, and, and then you, you say, hey, let's go to church. He's not going to want to really go at that point. He needs to be so committed to the Lord when you meet him that now you can see him, that this is his life already, you know. Because, the, and I want to say this, because the immoral man is just as bad as the immoral woman. See, what, what uh, Solomon is exposing is the fact that Satan's, one of his number one tactics, because Paul says we're not ignorant of Satan's devices, is to get a young person or a single person who's on fire for the Lord and draw them away using either an immoral woman or an immoral man. Um, and notice that the immoral woman is not speaking perversely. It says here from the seductress, verse 16, who flatters with her words. And as we're going to find out in chapter 7, she's actually kind of religious. So on the surface, you wouldn't even think that this is, this is probably a good thing, but you have to seek the wisdom of the Lord. And so this seductress will come and draw you away. And I've seen many, many, many marriages destroyed in the last few years from sexual immorality. Um, because notice here, she's not single. It says, who forsakes, in verse 17, the companion of her youth, who forgets the covenant of her God. In other words, this is a woman who's walked away from the Lord and even been unfaithful to her husband. And she's drawn a young man away after her. And see, so many times people get caught into this and marriages are destroyed. Nowadays, she shows up electronically often through the form of um, Internet pornography. And, and, and I, I want to say this, too, getting back to the parental, uh, parental thing for just a moment. Any of us who have children who have electronic devices without filters on them, we are, how can I say it? We are... Um, being naive and setting them up for failure and heartache for ourselves. Because, you know, think about when you're on the internet. I, I'm on Bible Gateway and Bible Gateway advertisements it, it come up, get on my nerves. So I click the little X to, to, to close out the ad and it wants to ask me, what's wrong with this ad? And I click, it, it's, it's irrelevant. I don't want to see it. You know, I don't want to see women's clothing. I'm a man. I'm not, don't, my, I don't buy my wife's stuff like that. I mean, I'll buy certain things, but I'm not buying all the stuff that they are showing. You know, and it's like, it's, you might say, well, it's not a big deal, Pastor Kevin. Well, yeah, but I'm trying to read the Bible. It's taking my thoughts away from that. It irritates me because that's how Satan begins with things, right? So if that happens to us, you actually think that your 8, 9, and 10-year-old won't see something pop up if they don't have a filter that they may you know, be curious about and click, where is that going to then lead? And what does that do to their little soul, which gets corrupted and destroyed? And, and then it just does all kinds of things. It just, it just destroys. And then later on, it's destroying a marriage, you know? So we have to be very careful that sexual immorality today is crazy, um, even more so than it used to be. And that's something I want to share. I just don't know if I can't remember now if I shared it this service or not, but I'll wait for a moment. So notice what he says. Here's the thing. Everybody listen. And when I was a young man, this scared me. For her house leads down to death. 
I used to get this visual, I think, from the Holy Spirit that there was this, you know, secret door at her doorstep that went down. And there's a red hell fires are down there, you know, it was like turn away quickly. <laughs> yes, it says that her house leads down to death, her paths to the dead. Look at this. None who go to her, ladies, none who go to him return. Did y'all see that? Nor do they regain the paths of life. Solomon is saying when you turn to the seductress strange man or the seductive strange woman, you are literally following the paths of death and it will literally destroy your life and destroy your marriage. And we underestimate how it destroys the children's lives when their parents' marriage is ruined because of these things. And then there's a lifetime of complications with custody battles and, uh, you know, sharing custody and back and forth and all this stuff. And now you got some other man raising your child part-time or you got some other woman raising your child part-time who you don't know and have no influence over. And it just gets worse and worse and worse all because we didn't. Turn to the fear of the Lord and listen to the wisdom of God as Solomon is saying to his children, don't go, don't follow. He's saying that to us and I pray he's saving a marriage right now. He says, because nobody that goes returns. There's no way out unless you repent and run away like Joseph did in Potiphar's house, run to the Lord. Uh, nobody regains the path of life again. It will swallow you up. It will take you and keep you longer than you plan to be there. And I've seen a lot of marriages ruined. So you may walk in the way of goodness and keep the paths of righteousness for the upright will dwell in the land and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the earth and the unfaithful will be uprooted from it. Now, as we close, the beauty is God is saying to you, if this is you, simply turn. You know, the one good thing is, you know, God is a restorer of, of things. You know, he can restore things. And, you know, maybe your marriage is shaky or whatever. You know, I've, I've heard people say, and I've, you know, that God can even restore your heart, even your eyes for your spouse. Your desire for your spouse can be changed if, in fact, you turn now before it's too late. And a lot of people in the room, that they could get up here and testify, they would say, you know, because if you don't, there's a lot of people who lost their spouse because their spouse went after something else, you know. But God is faithful if you stay with him. So bow your heads. Father, we thank you for your word today. I pray, Lord, that you have done surgery with it in our hearts and in our minds, Lord, that you've taken us and turned us away from maybe a path that's not good, Lord God, and put us back on the path that you desire. Uh, Lord, if it feels difficult for any, let them recognize its conviction from your Holy Spirit because of love. And Lord, that you would grab a hold of them and, and, and allow them to sense your leading, that they may come to the place where they know your wisdom and your knowledge and love you and stay close to you. We love you today, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So